gather with the opportunity to worship you and learn from your word. I pray that you would open all of our hearts to whatever it is that you have in mind for us from this verse, from these verses. And I pray that my words would be from the intent that you have in the, in the Bible and not from my own agenda. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So, to start, as I said, I don't do this very often. So to start, I'm going to probably break one of the very first rules of public speaking. I'm going to start off with a real depressing story just to really set the mood for you guys. Um, this comes from my own, my own personal life. When my dad was about 45 years old, I was about 25 at the time, we found out that he had a melanoma cancer, which is a really terrible form of skin cancer. And the doctors at that time were hopeful that they'd be able to remove the cancer through surgery and that he would make a full recovery. But after about a year, after the surgery, a year later, the cancer came back. And this time it was, they said there really was no treatment because it had spread quite a bit. They told us that he had around two to three months to live. So this was, as you can imagine, and some of you have unfortunately been in this same boat, it was really devastating news. We didn't know how to cope. For me personally, I had never lost anyone of really great significance in my life to that point, to that point let alone uh, a parent. So we were grasping at straws trying to figure out how to deal with this terrible news. And one of the things we did, which was good, is we really desperately looked towards God. We um, were looking for any kind of sign of hope or encouragement or uh, strengthening that we could get from him. And in doing that, he actually responded to our desperation. There were a couple of, there were a couple of uh, really kind of significant ways, looking back at it, kind of miraculous ways that he did that. And the first was um, we had a family friend who was a long-haul truck driver. And so he would go between here and California. And on one of his trips, during the time when my dad was in the hospital, kind of at the height of his suffering, this friend stopped at kind of a truck stop diner type of thing for a bite to eat on one of his trips. And a stranger approached him. Out of the blue, a stranger just walked up to him. The stranger identified my dad by name. My dad's name was Mickey. The stranger said, God is with your friend Mickey in the hospital. So that was miraculous, right? He, he rushed home from his trip came straight to the hospital to tell my dad this great news, this, this great news. Somebody out of the blue came to me and said that God is with you. And we took it as a sign that God was up to miraculous things. We took it as a sign that God was up to a miraculous healing that would be coming. The other thing that happened was, as you can imagine, my dad was very down in the dumps, very depressed about this whole thing at times. And in the middle of the night, he woke up one day just totally despairing. So he grabbed his Bible, which was good. He just flung it open. I don't know if you've ever done this in a time of kind of desperation. You just fling, fling it open to a random page, and he pointed his finger, and it came to Philippians 4.13 from the passage that uh, Bruce just read. And again, it said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So my dad was brought to tears to read this because he thought, this is God telling him that he will beat cancer because God will strengthen him. But the unfortunate news was that it didn't work out that way. Just as predicted by the doctors, in two or three months, about two to three months, my dad did pass away. So we were left with questions, right? As I'm sure many of you have been in a similar situation, you, you start to question, did God not have the power to heal my dad? And if he did, why didn't he? Why did it seem like to us we were getting these signs that maybe there was going to be some sort of miraculous healing that would defy what the doctors were telling us, and yet it didn't happen? 
In this passage that, that Bruce just read, the one that we're looking at today, I think we're going to get answers to questions like that. They're going to be maybe not the answers that we wouldn't necessarily think, but they're going to be great and unexpected answers. I'm hoping after we take a closer look at, at the context of that verse, the verse that God gave to my dad, we'll see that Paul's in, helping us answer three important questions. So I think we've got them here. The first is, what should we do when faced with times of trouble? So what is our role when going through our own troubles? Number two, what active role is God playing in our lives, particularly during troubled times? And number three, what is our role in the troubles of others? What role can we play when others are going through times like this? So let's get right into it. We'll take a look starting in verses 10 to 12. This is where we see Paul is communicating his thanks to the church, the church of uh, Philippi, for their gifts of support. And we understand that Paul has most likely just gone through a really tough time where he was in need. Um, it's speculated that maybe he had asked the churches to withhold their offerings to him and, and rather give it to a relief fund at another church. But whatever the case may be, he didn't live a lavish style as it was, so he was going without money, most likely without food, shelter. Like He was really going through a, a tough, tough time. Um, and the church has now provided him with a gift, and he's very thankful. But it's interesting because he wants to clarify that he's not complaining. First, he wants to make perfectly clear he's not complaining about this tough time he's gone through. In fact, he's going to use it as a teaching opportunity for them to show them how to weather that kind of storm. So here he gives the answer to the first question, which was, by the way, you'll find this all in the, the sermon insert, or the bulletin insert about the sermon. Uh, the first question was, what should we do when faced with times of trouble? Paul's answer is, be content in all situations, trusting God's good purpose for your life. So going back to the the verses, Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So any time someone says they have a secret, our ears perk up, don't they? Especially if we're prone to gossip, we're just like, wow, I got to know what this is. Especially in a case like this where he's saying basically he's got a secret to living, a secret to a, um, a good life. So even more so our ears perk up. And here's, what he, here's how he lays it out, out the secret that, that he says to these situations. He says, be content. And it's like, great, thanks a lot, Paul. I'll just be content. Even though, you know what would happen if, if my wife was having a hard time with the kids and I said, Lord, just be content. She would probably just smack me right in the face, right? Because it's too simple. Um, so you lose your wife, you're just going to be content. Your health is not good, you're going to be content. You lose your job, you're going to be content. It sounds a lot easier said than done. So how does Paul manage to just be content? Because we know he's been through a very significantly bad time. In the book of Romans, Paul, I think, gives a little bit of a verse here that shines a light on how he might manage to be content. So in chapter 8... Verse 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And the ESV study Bible kind of clarifies what this means, saying that God weaves together good for his children. He weaves everything together for good for his children. And the good that we're referring to is not necessarily health and wealth. We know that we're not always going to have perfect health. 
and we're not always we're not we're not all going to be rich and prosperous, but what it does mean is a closer fellowship with God, bearing fruit for the kingdom and final glorification in heaven. So going back to the story about my dad, it was interesting how the Lord could use something so terrible, something that we were praying against happening, he could use that for good. For me personally, that was a time in my mid-twenties where I was really immature, as maybe, maybe some of you were, probably not as immature as me. I loved nothing more than to just go out and get drunk with my friends. There was nothing more fun to me than doing that and all the debauchery that came along with that. And if this hadn't happened to my dad passing away, which was terrible, terrible news, or it was a terrible thing to go through, I don't know that I would have settled down because shortly after I got engaged and married to my wife, and if I had done that, who knows what kind of train wreck I might have been as a father and as a husband. Not that I'm perfect now, but it would, like, who knows what it would have been like then. Um, shortly after that happened, I started my career. I don't know that that would have happened. And most importantly, it was a time when, back then I would have said I was a Christian, but there was really no evidence of it in my life whatsoever. Um, that was a, my dad dying was a thing that made me, it was a very pivotal moment in my life. It made me look at my life and ask myself if I was living it right. And the answer was no. So it made me kind of make some steps in a different direction towards God. I definitely wouldn't be speaking to you here today if, if my dad hadn't passed away. I probably wouldn't be an active member of this church. I probably wouldn't be an active member of any church. I can say that with fair bit of confidence. And not that it was all about me either because other members of my family ha would have similar stories for you about how this terrible event was used by God to bring good in their life. Um, so that was a little taste for us of how God's will might not always play out the way that we expect or even want, but that doesn't change the fact that his will is good and that he wants good for us. And the more we seek his will, the more good he has in store for us. So I'd like to take a look at Proverbs 3, 5, 6. And as a side note, this was my dad's very favorite verse. He, it's a very famous verse, but it was also his favorite verse that he would quote to us over and over again. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So in other words, let's not spend all our time figuring out what we want for our lives. Let's focus on what God wants for our lives. If, if we dwell on him and his word and we pray to him, he'll make our path straight. Uh, it, he'll straighten our path towards his will, which is where we want to be. And he'll use us for good. So to get back on track here, to get back to Philippians and what Paul was saying there, how did Paul manage to practice the secret of being content in all circumstances? He trusted in the Lord with all his heart. And he knew that God was using all things for his good purpose even the things that are painful, sad, and devastating. So it's easier said than done. We know that. And uh, if any of you are going through a tough time right now, I, I can definitely sympathize if you're not feeling content today. But it's a good goal for us to strive for, right? If we can be in that place where we can be content in anything, that's where we want to be. And one last note about this section is, Paul says that the secret is to be content in the tough times, but he actually also says specifically that it's, you want to be content in the times when things abound and things are plentiful. So when you have more than you need, and that might actually apply to us more here in Canada at times because we are a very plentiful country. Um, we have, even the least of us probably have a lot more than some of the other countries in the world. 
And I know for me, embarrassing as it is to admit, even though I have more than I need, there's a lot of times where I'm discontent and I'm looking for what else can I get. And uh, that's pretty embarrassing, but it's true. And so Paul is saying, also in those times, you have to be content. So that, that's something to make a note of as well. We're going to move on to that famous verse, verse 13, which says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is a, um, a very popular verse, as we've kind of alluded to, that it's used as an inspirational verse, and it's used as an inspiration of confidence that we will meet our goals or we will get the thing that we want. For example, I can get the promotion at work through him who strengthens me. I can lose 50 pounds through him who strengthens me. I can get a date with my crush through him who strengthens me. I could win the lottery through him who strengthens me. And maybe even the most unlikely thing of all, the Canucks could win the Stanley Cup through him who strengthens me. And to make most of those statements, maybe except for the Canucks thing, they're not entirely untrue, right? Because does Christ have the power to do those things? For sure he does. Could he help me get a promotion at work? Yeah. Could he help me find and attract the perfect spouse? Yes, he could, and he did. And it was just our anniversary, so I don't mind sucking up a little bit. Um, could he help me win the lottery? He definitely, he, we know he could do that, right? In fact, in the book of Matthew, Jesus explains to his disciples, being, he was kind of criticizing their lack of faith, he says to them, explains to them just how much power is available through our faith in God. He says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith, like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Nothing is impossible. It's perfectly clear that God has the power to do absolutely, absolutely anything. So then, why if I pray that the Canucks would win the Stanley Cup, which I'm ashamed to admit I may have done at times, it never happens, and it probably never will. Is it because God doesn't have the power? He definitely has the power. Jesus just said he can do anything, including that. So then why, why do these prayers, some of our prayers, they don't come true? Is it because maybe I don't have that mustard seed of faith? That's a possibility as well. Or it could be that I'm not seeking God's will. I'm just seeking my own desire, and the two things are not in line. At times, I think, especially in kind of our modern Christianity, we try to turn God into like a genie in a bottle. He's just here to grant our wishes. And, uh, yeah, there we go. Um, so, but if this, true, if this verse truly is meant, we, 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 pardon me, we use verses like this to justify turning God into a genie. And if this verse is truly meant, if it truly meant that God wishes that Christians get all their wishes granted, then probably Christians would never experience illness. We would always get the promotion. We would always get the spouse that we're seeking. Our teams would always win. And to be honest, we'd probably be very obnoxious people because we wouldn't be able to share in and relate to the suffering and challenges faced by the rest of the world. We probably wouldn't have much character whatsoever because God uses those tough things to build character. No, if we read this famous verse in context of what Paul has already said about being content in every circumstance, we see that he does not mean that God will grant all of our wishes. He means that we can endure anything. In fact, we can be content through all things because God strengthens us. And when you think about it, that's better, isn't it? Because if God is only a genie who's supposed to be granting our wishes, he's actually not a very good genie because 
we all have times where we've prayed for a certain thing to happen or a certain thing we want, and it hasn't happened. So if he's just a genie, he's not always coming through on that promise to grant those wishes. And um, looking at God in that way can end up hurting our faith because we think that that's the promise, that all these wishes will be granted, but it's not happening. Then we're left with fear. What if I don't get the job? God didn't grant that last wish of mine. What if I never find a spouse? What if, I, what if my parent dies before I'm ready? We're left with that fear because we don't trust that God will keep that, that promise. But that's not what the promise was. That's why the true interpretation of the verse is even better. Because God strengthens us to make it through all things. Therefore, there's nothing to fear. <coughs> nothing can break us and nothing can defeat us in a spiritual sense. Again, it's easier said than done. But with that mustard seed of faith, God can strengthen us through the worst things that we can imagine. So when my dad's friend was on that road trip and that person came to speak to him and tell him that God was with my dad in hospital, God was working a miracle. That is miraculous. How often does something like that happen where God kind of just intervenes right into our lives in a very evident way? It does happen, but it is a miracle. But it's just not the miracle we were looking for. We were looking for a healing. God was in a miraculous way telling my dad, I love you, I'm with you, I'm strengthening you. Don't be afraid, you can even be content because I am here for you. Likewise, when he gave my dad this verse, he was telling him, he wasn't telling him that he's going to heal him, which was what we wanted. He was telling him, Mickey, I love you, I am with you, I'm strengthening you through all of this. That's how much that God loves us. He he. He wants us to know that, that he's here with us, strengthening us through all things. So back to our second question, which I think maybe I went a bit out of order on the slides. Uh, but the question was, what active role is God playing in our lives, particularly during troubles? And the answer is, God is strengthening us in any and every circumstance. We just need to be looking for, for and praying for God's strength, which is promised to be there. Also, um, it's okay to pray for those things that we desire, but at the same time, we, gotta, we need to be praying that our, our will and desires would be in line with God's will. Um, okay, wrapping up uh, the passage, we're going to take this, the big chunk at the end, verse 14 to 23. So I'm going to read the whole thing. Try to bear with me. I know Bruce already read it, but I'm just going to kind of revisit it here. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he finishes with, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your, with your spirit. So there's a lot to unwrap there. But the, near the beginning, I think Paul gives the basic, the basic theme to it which is the answer to question number three, what is our role in the troubles of others? Well, we should share in the troubles of others. So we already established that Paul had been going through a hard time, and here we see that he received a gift from the Philippians, and it's understood that it was a financial gift. They, he 
it's actually phrased as a fragrant off offering, but scholars agree that it is a metaphor for a financial gift that they gave to him. And he says he received full payment and more and is well supplied. So if you've ever received a gift at a time of need, the perfect thing, exactly what you needed, exactly when you needed it, you know what a blessing that is. And I was thinking a bit about this idea of um, need and trying to look for people's needs and supplying for them. And I thought of a video that I saw online within the last couple of weeks. Maybe some of you have seen it too. I think we have a picture. There it is. So the boy on the left is Ethan Guzman. He lives in New York City. And his dad posted this video on Instagram. It went viral. Lots of people have watched it. And I just want, want to read you what the dad's caption to the video was. He says, Ethan and I drove up to our building and Ethan yelled, stop. He noticed a kid playing basketball without shoes. So Ethan asked him why he was playing without shoes. The boy said, I came today and that's how I play in the Dominican Republic all my life, with sandals or barefoot. So this, this child has just recently immigrated from the Dominican. So Ethan's broken Spanish responded with, no, no, no. He ran upstairs, went and got some new sneakers that were given to him and some new socks to match to give to the boy and the response was priceless. The boy ran upstairs full of joy to show his mother. So that's amazing, right? Like uh, this kid just totally gets it. It's amazing how often children just seem to intuitively get some of these things, whereas we as adults maybe miss the, totally miss uh, the boat a little bit. Um, Ethan saw someone in his community who was having trouble, and he shared in that trouble. He put himself in that child's shoes, or lack thereof in this case, and he said, no, 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 this won't do. He knew that he could help, and so he did. And the other boy who had recently immigrated was full of joy because of this gift. And I'd go as far as to say this blessing that he received from Ethan will probably stick with him for the rest of his life. Because you can imagine coming from a new country, you're in not only a new uh, city, but a new country. And Ethan has sent the message that in this community, in this city, in this country, we take care of those in need. We, we see somebody in need and we help. And that could totally change the outlook of this new, new immigrant, this new um, member of the community. And that might be something that it totally influences the way he lives the rest of his life in, in that new community. And that's the impact that giving has, the impact that one gift can have. So sub-point A in our notes is generously and regularly provide for the needs of your community, including your church family. So this means we need to be like, we need to be like Jesus. We also need to be like this Ethan boy who is kind of showing uh, love like Jesus shows, right? Um, we need to be looking for opportunities to provide for those in need or those in trouble. And when we see those, let our reaction be like his. No, no, no. We have to do something about it. We're so busy with our own problems, the things we want, so often we look right past the person that might be right in front of us that has a need that maybe we are the perfect person to be able to help because we have the means to do so. And that may, there's a lot of ways we can do that. We could give a meal to a neighbor who's been sick. We could buy a grocery gift card to a relative who's been laid off. We could uh, mow the lawn for an elderly neighbor. We could watch the siblings of our, of our or pardon me, we could watch our, our nieces and nephews so our sister or brother can go on a date. There's a lot of ways that you can fill a need. Here, though, Paul is specifically talking about giving uh, financially. And that's always a very sensitive topic, as we know. I'm just checking to see where my time's at. Giving financially is always a really sensitive topic. It's one that people, a lot of people have a natural cringe um, 
cringe response to whenever the church starts talking about giving of their finances. And I think Paul, it's interesting because Paul, I think, knew that too. Even in those days, it was something that you had to handle delicately because he's careful to say, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. In other words, their giving is not for Paul's glory and riches. We know that he was not a glorified or rich man. Their giving was something that pleased God and led to fruit, meaning blessings in the community that they were giving into, but also blessings for themselves. The Philippians were very generous with Paul. They provided for his needs. But the question is, why did they do this? Because if they, if they gave to Paul so that he could be driving a Rolls Royce and flying in a private jet and wearing an Italian suit, then that, that is really cringeworthy and it's really distasteful. If they were giving to Paul because they were worshipping him in some way, that's not right. If they were doing it because they thought they were buying their own salvation, that's not right. And that's the kind of thing that if that's what's being preached about when we talk about giving, then it deserves people to be cringing and, and uh, being, feeling uncomfortable about it. But that's, we know that's not what, why they were giving. Because Paul was not a man who was rich or anything like that. And there was one reason they were giving. And it's the same reason that we give today. Because this is a question worth asking. Why do we give today? It's because they believed in Jesus and they wanted to help spread the gospel message. They wanted the good news of Jesus to be spread to other communities and to new people. They trusted that Paul had integrity and that he was doing a good job of spreading the word of Jesus to the, the different communities, but it wasn't, they weren't giving for the sake of Paul. They wanted him to preach and teach about Jesus. And they were willing, and it seems, eager to give. And so by giving to Paul, they provided for his needs, as we talked about providing for needs, they provided for his basic needs of food, shelter, probably, who knows, clothing, the whole nine yards. But in doing so, they were making it possible for Paul to provide for the most important of all needs in those communities he was going to, which is people not knowing Jesus. And that's why we give today too, right? Because if we were giving so that Kurt could be rich or so that we could build some sort of huge empire, then there's no point. We don't give for that reason. We give so that we can bless each other in this church family. On a Sunday morning, we're hopefully blessing each other and meeting a spiritual need, but also looking for other needs within our community and hopefully providing for those through ministry. And also, we're giving so that beyond this church family, we're able to reach more people and tell them about Jesus because we know there's millions of people in the lower mainland alone who are walking around barefoot in a spiritual sense and we need to stop the car and say, no, 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 this won't do. And that's why we give, because we want to reach as many of those people as, they, as we can. And as a side note, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've gone to church for a long time, you're just not really sure how you feel, you need to, I encourage you to take a look at Jesus and who he was. Don't look at the hypocritical Christian you once knew who treated you poorly, because I know there's a lot of those, but that's not who Jesus is. And don't look at the, the televangelist who is in that private jet and is clearly exploiting people's money because that's not who Jesus is either. Take a look at a Bible. You can go online. The whole thing's there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just look at who Jesus was, what he said, who he said he was, what he did. And I think he'll stand the test um, because he said that he was the son of God. He said that he, he was sent to die for you because God loved you and wanted to have a relationship with you. And if he was who he said he was, then that's a total game changer. And that's somebody that you need to consider. So I encourage you to do that. Take a look at the Bible. 
approach uh, myself, Kurt, Bill, Danny, any of the church leaders, probably anyone in the church would be very happy to speak to you, answer questions, debate if you like, and uh, let you know how to become a Christian or um, just answer any question you might have. So I encourage you to do that. Now let me just get back on track. I'm totally out of time, but I'm going to jump to my last note, which is uh, 3B, giving by giving sacrificially, you will also be blessed. So when we give sacrificially, that just means that we're giving, we're, we're making a sacrifice in order to give. It, it has to be something that we feel is like a real, like if I give a nickel out of my pocket, that's not sacrificial because it doesn't really impact me. So it's enough that, that it feels like a bit of a sacrifice. And when we do that, Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So similarly to the way that God is strengthening us primarily in a spiritual sense, these blessings are often spiritual blessings because there are times when we give, and I know my wife and I have felt this, where we give and it feels like a bit of a stretch and then shortly thereafter we receive financial, some sort of financial blessing unexpectedly. So that does happen, but it's not why we give because it's not promised. But what is promised is, it, is that if we give sacrificially, we will be blessed spiritually. And you can rely on that promise. So if you give faithfully, joyfully, and sacrificially to the Lord, to his church, to your community, I promise, Paul promises, that you'll be blessed. And so I'm going to have to, I think, wrap it up abruptly here because I am out of time. Um, but it might be a good segue because we're, now we're going to go into our communion time and our, and our time of giving. So let's, uh, let's pray and then I'll send it over to the servers and the band. Lord, thank you that... Um, You've given us this word through Paul. Um, I pray that you would help us to rely on you in our times of trouble, to try to find contentedness through your strength. We pray that you would give us that strength in our times of need so that we need not be desperate or broken. And we pray that when we see others going through those times, that we would step up and that we would not be able to help ourselves, but to help, to, to do what we can to help. Um, we pray right now for a time of communion that you would prepare our heart, hearts to, um, to enter a relationship with you in this moment and, and think about you and dwell on you. And we also pray for a time of giving that you would uh, help us to give as we feel led by you. In Jesus' name, amen.